One. Janice, is everything okay up here? Because I keep losing it. Yeah, it keeps coming and going. Yeah. Yeah, I'm plugged in tight. Let's see what happens. All right, so we'll see how it goes. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we will be in verses 1 through 18. We'll try to cover about half the chapter today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18, and the title of our lesson this morning is Why We Pay the Preacher. Why We Pay the Preacher, and I have no idea what's going on with this thing. Um, so if it, if it shows up, we'll, if it doesn't, we'll just, you'll just get to hear me talk. Um, now, in chapter 7, as we've gone through Corinthians, in chapter 7, Paul has answered a bunch of questions about marriage and celibacy. And then we got to chapter 8, and Paul asked, answered a que- some questions about meat offered to idols. Now, in chapter 9, he turns to the subject of, of why we pay uh, the preacher. And you may think, well, now that's kind of weird, right? I mean... <laughs> He's answering questions about marriage, and he's answering questions about meat offered to idols. Why in the world would he change the subject or switch subjects like that uh, to about paying the, the, the preacher? Well, the fact is, actually, he's not changing subjects at, at all. In fact, chapter 9 is just a continuation of what he's been talking about in chapter 8. And this is just a reminder, once again, I am so sorry. I don't have no idea why it's doing that. Um, We've never had that issue before, have we? Um, so we'll see. Anyway, just as just a reminder once again that context matters, right? You guys remember, and I, I, I've brought every probably about once a year I'll bring this up. Just so y'all know, Paul didn't write his letters with chapters and verses. Does everybody know that? <laughs> um, in fact, the uh, the chapters were added in 1227 A.D. Uh, by a guy by the name of Stephen Langton. I have no idea. Um, I'm just going to undo this, if that's okay, because it's popping in and out on mine as well. Um, The chapters were added uh, in 1227 uh, by a guy by the name of Stephen Langton, who's the Archbishop of Canterbury. And uh, he added chapters to both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So he went in and divided everything up into chapters. Uh, The verses um, were added at different times. The verses were added in the 15th century, in fact, in 1448, by a Jewish rabbi, he, he added verses to the Old Testament, and then the New Testament was added in, uh, verses were added in 1555, in the 16th century, by a guy named Robert Stephanus, and um, he, was a, um, he was a friar or something. But anyway, so since the 1500s, we've had chapters and verses, but that was all added 1500 years after Paul wrote his, his letters. And so keep in mind, there are verses in the Bible, I mean, uh, books in the Bible like Proverbs, where, you know, Proverbs will have a verse about one thing and then a verse about something else. But the title of the book tells you it's Proverbs, right? Or, or the book of Psalms. Each chapter tends to be a different subject. But, but Corinthians is a letter. Ephesians is a letter. Letters are written in that, so that they flow. You know, one thing goes to the thought, you know, feeds into the thought of the next, feeds into the thought of the next. That's why you can't ever reach into a letter like Corinthians and pull out a verse 
or pull out a, 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 a passage or even pull out a chapter and, and just you know, deal with it all by itself. You have to look what came before. You have to look what comes after. Context absolutely matters. So remember that in chapter 8, if you're thinking about context, remember that in chapter 8, Paul has written to us and said, even though we have the right to eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, in other words, it's, it's nothing in the Bible uh, uh, says it's right, there's nothing in the Bible says it's wrong, there's nothing wrong with it as far as Paul's concerned. Paul said last week, and we drove this home, that we should not do it if it offends the conscience of a weaker Christian. Everybody remember, we talked about that. He said, you can't, we don't just go through life doing everything we want to do just because we can do it. And Paul says, that's not Christian behavior. A Christian looks at a weaker Christian and says, I mean, I'm not going to do that if that offends them or if that could hurt them or, or, or hurt their faith in some way. I, I won't do that, even though I have the, the right to do that. So that's what Paul told us last week. But you remember in 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13. Let me read this for you again. This is from last week. Paul says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Therefore, Paul says, If food makes my brother stumble, then I won't eat, I won't eat meat. Or if meat ate, makes my brother stumble, I will not eat meat. So it's very... It's a principle that, that we live by. And, and I, I put an example on here. Is, if I ask you today, is eating a ham sandwich a sin? Yes or no? No, eat, there's nothing wrong with eating a ham sandwich. By, you go open the Bible and you can search from the beginning to the end. The Bible's not going to tell you, don't eat a ham sandwich, right? Can anybody think of a situation where I could make it into a sin? Exactly. So what if there's an Orthodox Jew that gets saved? And he's a new Christian, and he's been raised, or she's been raised their whole life that eating pork is a sin. And you invite them over to the house, please don't make them little triangle ham sandwiches and put it on a platter in front of them, right? That, you don't do that. And, and, then, and if he won't eat them, you don't gobble them down in front of him, right? You, you let them grow into that knowledge. Remember the example I used last week about the friend of mine from Cuba? Everybody remember that? The, he was taught his whole life that Americans were bad, Americans were evil, Americans would kill you. And then when he defected, he, he lived in Canada for about five years because he wouldn't come to the U.S. because he was scared of Americans. Well, in his mind, he knew he had been indoctrinated. In his mind, he knew Americans weren't like that. But inside of him, he couldn't get past it. It took time for him to grow out of that. That's what Paul's talking about. New believers take time to grow out of some of these things that's been um, in, ingrained in them. And so if you, you know, you just gobble down pork, uh, pork you know, uh, pulled pork sandwiches or ham sandwiches in front of a Jewish believer, th that could offend them. So just don't do it. Make a grilled cheese instead. So, um, again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians eight twelve, if you do that, you know, again, eat a ham sandwich like that. He says you sin against your brother, and in sinning against your brother, you sin against Christ. So you've taken something that's very benign, that has no right or wrong to it, and you've made it sinful in the, in the fact that you've offended your brother. So the principle that Paul gave us, once again in chapter 8, is that the conscience of a weaker Christian is more important than our individual freedom. When we have to decide on a gray area, something in the Bible that the Bible doesn't say it's right or the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, one of the things we have to think about is if I do this, how will it affect 
my Christian brother or my, or my Christian sister. Now, this is what, in fact, this is what I would call a super principle. Not just a principle, but a super principle that Christians should live their lives by. Again, we don't just go around doing whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, just because we can. That is not Christian behavior. Now, Paul taught us that last two weeks, the last two weeks in chapter 8. Now, here in chapter 9, Paul is going to use himself as an example of that principle. So he's, in fact, by the way, that subject of, 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 of handling yourself, that principle is such a big deal to Paul. He's going to talk about it in all of chapter 9, and he's going to talk about it in all of chapter 10. He just won't let go of it because this is such a big deal uh, in how we handle ourselves as Christians. So what he's going to show us in chapter 9, he's going to use himself as an example. In fact, what he's going to do is he's going to give us uh, an example of how he had a particular right to something, but yet he did not exercise that right. He chose not to benefit from that right. Now, well, here's what he's going to do, and I'll just tell you what he's going to do, and then we'll go, we'll go look at it. The first thing that Paul's going to do is he's going to show us that as an apostle and as a minister of the gospel, he has a right to get paid for what he does. Okay, That's what he's going to show us. He's going to say, as a minister of the gospel, as an apostle, I have a right to get paid for what I, I do. I have a right to expect the churches to support me. I have a, I have a right to expect churches to, to underwrite me, to, to, to provide sustenance for me while I'm making my living from the gospel. However, as we're going to see, Paul is going to make a conscious decision not to exercise that right. Instead, Paul will actually choose to support himself throughout his entire ministry. And, and we all know what did Paul do for a living? He was a tent maker. He would do that his whole life. He would go out and make tents to earn his own living and so the churches would not have to support him. Now the question is, well, why would he do this? Well, he, the reason he did it is because he felt like that exercising that right could cause an offense to some people. You see, he was afraid that if he came into a town and he preached the gospel and, and he says, you need to pay me, that people would say, oh, he's in it for the money. He's one of these hucksters. He's one of these religious shysters. He's just doing it to get money. And that would turn them away from Christianity. So Paul says, uh, I, I'm not going to exercise that, that right. So here's what Paul, again, is going to do in chapter 9. Thing he's going to do is going to give us five reasons why a minister or a preacher has the right to be paid, and then he'll tell us why he chose to, to not exercise that right. So here's reason number one. So if you got your Bible, I don't obviously we're having projector problems. So if you got your Bible, we're looking in First Corinthians nine one through eighteen, and we'll just walk through it, and you can follow along in your Bible. Here's the first reason, and that is that he is an Apostle. This is look at verses one through three. Paul says, "Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And this is my defense to those who would examine me." Now I want you to think for just a minute. Why would Paul start out like this? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus? Well, remember in chapter 8, he's dealing with these Christians in Corinth who are saying, Hey, Paul, 
we're free, right? We can, meet, we, we can eat meat offered to idols. We know that idols are nothing. Everybody knows that. So we're free to eat meat. We can buy it at the market. It doesn't matter. That's no problem. We can walk in our freedom, and we can do whatever we want. Everybody remember that. That's what they're saying. So Paul says, all right, you want to talk about freedom? Well, what about me? Am I not free? Could I not do whatever I want? In fact, Paul says, as an apostle who's actually seen, in other words, he's saying, have you seen Jesus? Have you talked to him? The answer, they haven't, but he says, I have. I've, I've spoken to him. I've talked to him. He's appointed me. If you think you're free, what about me? Don't you think I'm probably even more free, got more liberty than you do? Everybody, everybody with me? That's what he's saying. He says, look, you're here, I'm here, basically is what he's saying. I'm an apostle. If you think you're free, don't I have even, even more freedom? And by the way, he says, if others want to doubt I'm an apostle, he says, I certainly am to you. The fact that you're a church, the fact that you're Christians, the fact that you're saved, that's the, that, he said, that's, that's the proof, that's the seal of my apostleship. At least you've got to admit, he says, that I'm an apostle to, to you. Look at verses 4 through 6. And Paul says, as an apostle, I have certain rights. He said this, Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a, a living? You see, evidently, there were other apostles, such as Peter and the Lord. He mentions the Lord's brothers, by the way, which is, which is probably uh, James and Jude. He says they're receiving support from the churches. The churches are underwriting them. The churches are, are paying them. In fact, he says they're even taking their wives with them. In other words, they're, they're taking their wives when they go on these trips to visit the churches. And, and by the way, that's, that's perfectly fine. There's no, there's no problem with that. Paul's basically saying, well, what about me? I don't have a wife, but don't I have the right to, to, be, to be paid? Don't I have the right to be supported just like Peter and James and Jude and the, and the other uh, apostles? Okay, so that's reason number one that he's an apostle. Reason number two is this is how life works. In other words, it's the usual uh, custom. Look at verse 7. Paul says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? You see, Paul says, if, if a guy's in the army, they're going to feed him, they're going to clothe him, they're going to lodge him, they're going to make sure that he has everything he needs in order to be a, a good soldier. I mean, listen, nobody goes to war, right? And then after the fighting's over in the day, they go to the restaurant at night to wash dishes to make a living so they can go back the next day. Does anybody do that? It doesn't work that way, right? In other words, it's human custom that a person earns their living by their work. If someone plants a vineyard or if someone raises sheep, they don't go to work at night to earn a living. They get their living, they get their sustenance from what they do. Out of their labor comes their livelihood. That's just the way life works. If you're here today and you've got a vocation, you're a, you're a teacher, you're a business person, you're a, a farmer, uh, whatever you are, you get your living from what you do. 
That's just the way life works everywhere you go. In the U.S., in another country, doesn't matter. That's just the way life works. So Paul uses three illustrations. He uses a soldier, a farmer, and a shepherd, and he says all three earn their living out of their, out of their occupation. So by implication, Paul says, why not the man of God? Shouldn't the man of God get his living or her living out of the, out of the, out of the gospel, out of the churches? the same way, why would they be any different? So he says they have the right to be paid for what they do. Reason number three that we pay the preacher is the Bible teaches the same principle. Look at verses 8 through 10. Paul says, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, which is Deuteronomy 25.4, by the way. And Paul says, is it for an oxen that God is concerned? Look at verse 10. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the, in the crop. See, in ancient times when they would do a wheat harvest, and we don't know really anything about wheat around these parts, but when they had a wheat harvest, what they would do is they'd cut the wheat and they'd bring it out onto this big flat area. They called it the threshing floor. And they would spread the, the wheat out all on that. And then they would take an ox and they would take this big round stone and they would hook this big heavy stone to the ox. And then that ox would walk around that threshing floor and as the, as the stone went over the, the husk, it, it would separate the husk from the, uh, from the grain. And then they would go up and, and, and they, would, they would pick it all up. So they'd get this ox to drag around this huge stone all day long in order to separate the, the grain from the husk. So the Bible says if you do that, don't muzzle the ox. In other words, if that ox is going to do the work and drag that stone around all day in, in service to human beings, the Bible says, now listen to this, even an animal, even an animal is entitled to eat of its work. Okay? See, that's the whole point. Even an animal is entitled to eat of its work. Now, God's point in Deuteronomy 25 and Paul's point here is exactly the same. Okay? If God requires that an ox, spending his strength serving man, should get his reward from his work, how much more a man who spends his strength serving God? Everybody see that? I mean, that's what Paul's saying. If an ox pulling around a big rock to separate grain from the husk, if that ox is entitled to eat of its work, how much more the man of God? Okay, Why does it work everywhere else in, in, on, in the world that people get paid for their living, but yet y'all don't want to pay the preacher? He said that makes no sense. Even an animal eats of its work. How much more should the man of God? If an ox shouldn't be muzzled, and if men who soldier and farm and shepherd should not be denied the wages of their work, Paul says, why should a man of God? People ought to earn their living from their labor. It's a very simple principle. It's universal and common across the human experience. Reason four, that we pay the preacher. Again, it's the universal pattern. Look at verse 13, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the Old Testament, 
people would bring their sacrifices to the temple. And you, if you go open the Old Testament, you read about this over and over again. And they would do this at, at different times, and they would do it for, for different reasons. In fact, there were several different types of offerings that people had to bring to the temple throughout the year. For example, there was something called the burnt offering. And if you, if you read the Old Testament, you'll read about this. They would bring an animal um, usually once a year. And as the name suggests, the entire animal would be burnt on the altar as a sacrifice to God. But before they burn it, they would skin it. So they would burn everything. They'd burn the meat, they'd burn the fat, they'd burn the entrails, but they would not burn the hide. They would actually skin it. And guess who got the hide? The priest would keep the hide, and the priest could sell it to make money to support himself or to support, uh, support the temple. Another, uh, try it again? Okay. They say they fixed it, so we'll see. All right. So the, the, the idea here is when they bring sacrifices in, um, one, the, the, the priest would keep them. Another uh, offering the Jews brought was called the sin offering or the, the trespass offering. And when they bring the sin offering or the trespass offering, all the uh, only thing they would burn was the fat, and the priest would keep the rest of the meat. And they could do whatever they want. They could have it for supper. They could take it over to the marketplace and, and sell it to the meat vendor and make money. So, in other words, that was a way that the priests supported themselves. There was a meal offering where people would bring uh, flour and wine and oil and they would, they would burn a small token of it on the altar as a sacrifice to God. The rest of it, guess who kept it? The priests did. That's where they got their flour. That's where they got their oil. That's where they got their wine or whatever they, they needed. There, another offering was called the peace offering. And in the peace offering, the fat and the entrails were burned, and the priest would keep the breast and the right shoulder of the meat. It was a symbolic thing that they all went through, and the rest of it would go back to the worshiper. But again, the priest got to keep part of the sacrifice. That's how they uh, had their sustenance. In addition, when the people would bring the first fruits of their harvest, they'd bring their olives, they'd bring their barley, their wheat, their grape, their, their, their honey. They'd bring the first fruits of the temple. Guess who got to keep them? The, the, the priest did. Some of the first fruits of every crop would always go to the priest. The priest would receive what was called the teruma, which was one-fiftieth. If you were a farmer and you had a crop, you would give one-fiftieth of it to the priest. If you were a, a, a woman and you were cooking and you cooked up a batch of dough to break bread, to make bread, you would take one-twenty-fourth of that and you'd give it to the priest. That's where they got their dough. Okay? If you were a baker you, and that was your business, you gave one-forty-eighth of it to the priest. So the, it's all throughout the Old Testament that the priests were supported by the people. They, they got their living from, from the things that they did, how they served and operated in the temple. So you can see the system was set up so there was always something for the priest in order that his livelihood might come out of his service. This is how God set it up in the Old Testament system. Now, reason number five that we pay the preacher, and Paul saves this till last, and that is that the Lord Jesus commanded it. Look at verse 14. Paul says, in the same way, in the same way that the Old Testament priests, he says, were supported by what they did, he says, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 
Let me say that again. Those who proclaim the gospel, Paul says, should get their living by the gospel. And there you go, right? Support the preacher. Support the man of God. Support the missionary. Support the evangelist. They deserve to get paid for what they do. It's not human reason. It's not some Old Testament proverb. Paul says this has been commanded by the Lord Jesus himself. Pay the preacher, basically, is what he's saying. Now, you may ask a question, because a lot of times we ask this, well, where does Paul get that from? Is there anything in the Gospels or that, that he's going to and, he, and he's getting this? Well, the fact is, we don't know. Um, there is no recorded statements in the Gospel where Jesus made a statement of something like that. So probably this is a direct revelation from Jesus to, to Paul himself. Okay? So Paul has given us five reasons in 1 Corinthians 9 why he and every other person who proclaims the gospel as their vocation okay, should be paid for what they do. Everybody with me? That's what Paul says. I've laid it out. I'll give you five reasons why preachers should be paid. Yet, Paul says, I have chosen not to use this right. Paul says, I have made a choice. Even though I have a right to be paid from the church, Paul says, I made a choice not to do that. Okay? Look at verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Look at that in purple again. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That word endure, Paul says, in the Greek, this, this, is, a, this is a particular word in the Greek, it means to bear in silence. It, it, it means to bear without complaint. It means you endure things and you never say a word about it. And it's in the present tense, which means it's ongoing. Paul's not saying I did it back then. Paul's saying I do it every day. I have a right to do it, but I don't take money from you. And he said, and I don't say a word about it. I just keep my mouth shut. And I just, I just endure that. You see, all through his life, all through his ministry, Paul denied himself what he had a right to, which was support from the churches. I mean, he literally would, would, would go into a town and he would work as a tent maker during the night and make money so that he could go outside and preach during the day or teach during the day. Every downtime he had, instead of resting, he's working. He's supporting himself. He's making money. So he could go to the churches and give them all of his time and never charge them a single penny. And Paul says, I do that and I don't say a word about it. it, 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 it you, don't, you don't even know that I'm doing it. I never complain. Now here's the question, why? Why would Paul do that? Because he recognized that his support or his claim for support from new converts might be a hindrance to evangelism. Okay? He was willing to endure anything rather than give his enemies a reason to oppose him or to give people a reason not to be saved. I mean, just think about this. Let's say Paul goes into a new town. By the way, you do understand that when Paul... Paul was a missionary. In fact, he was the first missionary. So he was going to places there is no Christian church. In fact, uh, in a lot of these places, there might not even be a Jewish tradition. He's going to talk to people who were raised worshiping Zeus and Apollo and, and Venus and Aphrodite. And he's going into these places to tell them about God, to tell them about 
about Jesus. Can you imagine if he goes in there and he stands on the corner one day and he's preaching and three or four people get saved and he says, well, let's, let's meet here on Sunday and they all come back together and he, said, and, he, and he says, oh yeah, by the way, I need you to pay me. Can you imagine that? He says, I need you to take a, a, a tenth or whatever and pay me to support what I'm doing. Now, what do you think they would think if he did that? What would they think? I mean, they, they see the other people in the community would look at him and say, oh, he's one of those charlatans. He, he's, one of them, he's one of them prosperity preachers. He just wants my money. He, he, he's one of those kind of guys. I, even the people that got saved would probably be wondering, man, is, is his motive really pure? Is it really all about Christ or does he just, he just want our, our money? Do you understand this is still true today? Think about this. When we send a missionary over to a, a foreign country, to Papua New Guinea or to India or places where they don't know about Christ and the Christian tradition, who supports them? We do. Why do we support missionaries? We support them so they don't have to go into a country, get people saved, and immediately tell them, I need your money. Because how would that look? We still do that. Well, Paul was the first missionary. Paul got that. Nobody told him that. This wasn't a tradition or anything. Paul just got it. Man, if I go in there and I get these people saved and start a church and tell them that they need to pay me, that's not going to look good at all. So Paul says, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to work with my own hands. I'm going to support myself, make my own living. That way I won't put any hindrance or anything. And we still do that today with missionaries. We still do the exact same thing because we understand what Paul did. If you go in, get people saved, tell them they need to pay you, that ain't going to look good at all. That takes time. You see, Paul, on his missionaries' journeys, he was always cracking into new and, and virgin territory. Again, these aren't places where there's Christian traditions or Christian churches. And he knew that if he asked them to support him, it would be a hindrance to the gospel. So he did not claim the right. He chose not to do that. Now, by the way, if you read the New Testament later on, as these churches began to grow and these people began to mature, they began to want to give. Because when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you and starts working and starts producing love, guess what you're going to want to do? You cannot love without giving. Does everybody agree with that? You, you can't love without giving. You have to give. And that's one of the things that that the, that the Holy Spirit produces in someone is just this, this, this want to to give. And so as these churches began to grow and mature, they began to want to give to Paul because that's, that's natural. That's one of the graces of the, of the Holy Spirit. For example, we know in the Bible that the Philippian church took up an offering. I mean, even though they didn't have a lot of money, they took up the offering and they gave it to Paul, and Paul took it. The Macedonians, Paul says they gave out of their poverty. I mean, they were poor. And they scraped together an offering, and they gave it to Paul. And by the way, Paul took it. But if you go back and look, Paul would always take that money, and he would use it to support churches that were struggling. Or he'd use it to support Jews who were being persecuted in, in Jerusalem. He, as far as we know, he never took it for himself. He never spent a dollar of it to buy, buy a new coat, or to buy a meal, or to buy passage on a, on a boat. He always gave it away. He always used his own money to, to support himself. Look at verse 15. Read that again. And this is something really interesting. Paul says, Yet I have never used any of these rights. 
And I am not writing, and watch what he says, I'm not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In other words, Paul says, I've never took money from you, I never will. It's just my way of doing things. In fact, watch what he says. I would rather die. And he says something really interesting. I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Now that is an unusual statement when you think. He says, listen, I never took money from you. I never will take money from you. In fact, I'd rather die. But he doesn't say I'd rather die than take money from you. He says I'd rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Now what in the world does Paul mean by that? What does he mean about why am I boasting about preaching without charge? Well, you've got to think about Paul's ministry. You see, there's something in Paul's ministry that he takes great pride in, okay? Something that thrills him, something that he himself has contributed to the ministry. He boasts in it. He says, man, I'm, I'm proud of this, right? And you may ask Paul, well, well, Paul, what are you so proud about? Is it preaching the gospel? Well, it's not that. Look at verse 16. Paul says, preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by God to do it. In fact, Paul says, how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. Paul says, I, I don't boast about preaching the gospel. It's not something that I, to be honest with you, Paul says, it's not something I have a choice in. I have to do it. That word compelled, does anybody know what that word compelled means? It means forced. It means somebody's forcing you to do it. He says, I'm compelled by God to do it. I don't have really any choice in this matter. In other words, why, why would I boast in that? Okay? It, it, you might say, well, Paul, is it your ministry as an apostle? Surely you're, you're going to boast in the fact that you're an apostle. Look at verse 17. Paul says, well, if I were doing this on my own initiative, in other words, this was something that I came up with, that I decided to do, I would deserve payment. But he says, I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. You see, in Paul's mind, this is his life. One day I'm walking down the road, I'm on my way to Damascus to kill Christians, the next day I'm preaching the gospel, and I had nothing to do with it. Do you understand? Think about Paul's life. He's walking down the road one day, going to Damascus. In his mind, he's going to kill Christians. That's what he wanted to do. That was his plan in life. The next day, he's preaching the gospel. And he, had no, he, he, just, he wasn't walking along. He said, you know, this Jesus thing seems real. I think I'll switch sides. No, God came down and slapped him blind. He did. He said, he slapped him and said, boy, I chose you. You're going to get over here on my side. And Paul had nothing to do with it. You see, when you think about Paul's ministry, there really isn't much in his ministry he has anything to do with. In fact, if you go back and look at Galatians, he told the Galatians... My whole life was decided before I was born. Galatians 1, 15, 16, he said this, Even before I was born, God chose me, and he called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul says, you see all this stuff I'm doing, preaching, being an apostle? That's all God. I had no choice in it. It wasn't my initiative. I didn't come up with it. I didn't make a decision to switch sides. God just said, boy... I want you over here with me. I've chosen you. I'm going to make an example out of you. You're going to suffer for me. God did all that. But Paul says, there is one thing I choose to do. One thing that I don't have to do, 
but I'm going to make a choice to do one thing that I can contribute to my ministry. Look at verse 18. Paul says, What then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone for it. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Paul says, see, I, I don't have any choice in all this, but there's one thing I can do. There's one thing I can boast about that I can contribute that, and that is I choose not to charge anybody. I choose not to take any money from the churches. That's my choice. That's one thing that I can contribute. You see, Paul had to preach, but he, and he had to preach the gospel, but he didn't have to do it for free. He had every right to get paid. He had every right to get a living from what he did, but he chose not to do that. He didn't have to preach for nothing. You see, that was his contribution to the ministry. And in that one thing, Paul says, I boast about that. I have a special rejoicing about that. So what Paul is saying here is, yes, I have a right to support, but I've never made use of this right. And he says, I love that. It's my contribution to this ministry and I'm, I'm thrilled to do it. Now, here's what I, I want to close with this morning. What can we learn from Paul's example? By the way, you understand that the church today is a different situation. We have a Christian tradition now. We have mature Christians. We have Christians who want to give. That's why we support our ministry. We support Pastor Henry. We support the staff. We support missionaries because we know that's what we're supposed to do. And we're glad to do it, happy to do it, okay? It's, it's a different situation than, than Paul had. But here's the question, what can we learn from Paul's example? Well, the first and foremost thing you and I can learn is to emulate Paul's attitude, okay? You see, that's the attitude you and I ought to have. When we have a right to do something, we have a right, we know we're free to do something, and we choose, you know what, I'm not going to do it. Because if I do that, that might hurt somebody else. So I'm just not going to do it. You see, the fact is, a lot of us might set aside our liberty or our rights for weaker Christians, but we do it with the wrong attitude, right? We're like this. Okay, I'm going to do this, but I sure will say grow up so I can go do what I want to do. Right? You know, you're, you're not doing it, but in your heart, you really want to do it. And you, you really kind of blame people for being weak. It's like we, we talked the last few weeks about years and years ago, there was a big, uh, uh, a big thing in church about women wearing pants, right? The culture started, women started wearing pants in the culture, and, and the church had a big debate about this. Well, should women wear pants? Well, that's what we call a gray area, right? You can't open the Bible, and the Bible doesn't say women should wear pants or women shouldn't wear pants or things like that. So there was a, you have to make a decision. There was a big debate about this in the church. Well, as, as time has gone by... Nowadays, nobody thinks anything about that. There's women that here this morning wearing pants, and there's women this morning wearing dresses. You do what you want to do. But I can tell you, there's churches in this county that if you went there, everybody in that, every woman in that church would be wearing a dress. Am I right? Now, the question is, if you go to that church, what should you do? You wear a dress. You don't go in there and say, this is stupid. I, I, that's, that wearing pants don't mean anything. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to exercise my rights. You don't do that. And the other thing Paul says you don't do is you don't wear a dress, but you're sitting there, bunch of losers, bunch of weak Christians. I wish they'd grow out of this so I could wear my pants. 
See, that's not, that's not what Paul does. Paul says, I'm happy to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to do it. This is something I can choose to do, that I can contribute. Let me tell you, every one of us are in the same boat as Paul. Ephesians says this, if you're saved, you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be saved. Go read Ephesians. You were chosen. God, Pastor Henry says it every Sunday, God made that happen. He opened your eyes. He showed light into your heart so you could see the beauty of Jesus Christ. He did that. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't make it happen. You just weren't walking along one day and think, well, I think I'll just switch sides and see what it's like on the Christian side. No, God pulled you over and said, come here. I got a plan for you. But see, there are things that we can contribute. There's an attitude that we can walk in, and that is, I'm glad to do it. I'm glad to set aside my rights. Isn't that what Jesus did? Being equal with God, he set aside all of his rights and made himself as a lowly man in order to die for our sins. He set aside his rights. I mean, come on. Is it too much to ask us to do the same? You see, that wasn't Paul's attitude at all. He didn't do it begrudgingly, but he did it joyfully. You see, Paul's passion in life, and we're going to see this next week even more, Paul's passion in life, his primary purpose above everything else was to see people respond to and grow in the gospel. And anything that hindered that passion was removed from his life, and he was absolutely happy to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 1 Corinthians 9.